found a podcast where you'll hear the truth and we will praise jesus name we stand for the bible and won't back down from it although it don't bring much fame some folks will like it some will try to deny it but god's word will always stand true it's been tried in the fire still Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Pod King Bible Study. I'm your co-host, Donald King. And I'm Donnie King, the host of this study. This is Monday, September the 19th, episode number 82. Who is who here? Revelations chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. On this podcast, we study the Bible according to how it was written in the original languages, Greek and Hebrew, and how it was translated into English in the King James Version. In our last study, we dove into something we fear is becoming a problem among believers today. It seems that we're seeing many of our fellow Christians lose sight of why we are serving God for. It seems impossible that we could forget the main thing about anything we esteem important, but we know that there are some who have lost their focus on Christ. Why do you go to church? What do you live for? What are we to be doing? We looked at all of this and much more. In today's episode, we dive off into the confusing part of the first chapter of Revelation. There is much confusion as to who is speaking, who is being spoken of, and who is doing what in this chapter. Sometimes it appears to be God the Father, but at other times it seems certain it is Jesus. Other times it looks like John might be in view. But we also have to figure out who or what the angel is here as well. We try to sort through all these things, and we work at bringing some clarity to this chapter. And now for the teaching of God's Word and the lesson for today, I'll turn it to the host of this podcast, Brother Donnie King. Thank you for joining us today. It's going to be an interesting time that we look at the scriptures together, and I believe that you're going to see some things today that are pretty amazing. We're going to see some things that are very confusing, and I hope by the time we get through, you've got clarity on all of this. As we begin today, we're going to look at what we were studying in our last Monday's episode, episode number 81, and we're going to talk about what we ended that study with. We were talking about Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, where it speaks of Jesus, it speaks of John, it speaks of God, and it speaks of the angel. And it's, it keeps talking about all of them as if they're the same thing. And it's hard to understand if the he is God or the him is Christ and his angel, his servant, what he saw, all of these things are a little confusing at times. And that's why I titled this study today, who is who here? <laughs> you wonder when you read this passage exactly who is talking. I gave a little bit of an idea there at the end of the last study what I thought was going on, but I want to stop and ask ourselves several more questions here as we begin this study before we go on. We won't really understand verses 11 through 18 until we understand verses 8, 9, and 10, but we can't understand 8, 9, and 10 until we understand verses 1 and 2. All right, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 to start us off. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to shew unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. All right, now in asking ourselves some questions, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. Is the hymn Jesus or is it John? 
It definitely appears that God gave Jesus this revelation to show his servants what would soon come to pass. He sent and he signified this revelation by his angel. But who is the he who sent this? Who is the he that signified this? If you look at it very closely, it seems to be God who sent the revelation because he's the one who gave it to Jesus. The Bible says he signified it by his angel. Now, whose angel is this? Is it God's angel or is it the angel of Jesus? In keeping with the thought pattern we looked at in the last study, if God is the one who sent this, it would have to be God who signified it as well. So he is the one that signified it by his angel. God's angel is the one who gave this revelation to his servant, John. When it says his servant, John, I want you to please understand this isn't some other John that nobody's ever known. This is the disciple who was with Jesus when he was here on earth. This is James's brother. James and John were brothers, and this is the brother of James here. No matter which way you come at this, it appears that this is saying that Jesus is either linked to this angel or it's referring to Jesus as the angel of the Lord Christology normally does when there's a Christophany or a Theophany from the Old Testament, and Jesus is the one who delivered it. The reason I say this, I firmly and strongly oppose anyone saying that Jesus is a created being or an angel. Now, you may think, well, you're saying Jesus is an angel here. No, he's being referred to as the angel of the Lord. This is what he was referred to often in the Old Testament, not because he was an angel, though. It's because the word angel means messenger. In the Hebrew, it's melach. Melach is an angel. All right, when we come to the New Testament, angelos. Angelos is an angel. But it's a messenger, first and foremost. Jesus is the one that brought the message. So he's standing in the place as the angel of the Lord here. He is not an angel, but he is delivering a message like an angel would. Could it be that God gave the information to Jesus and he gave it to John? So God sent it by Jesus. He signified it to Jesus and Jesus gave it to John, who was the servant of the Lord. To me, that's how Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 make sense. All right, but now that we've got that kind of squared away, let's drop down to where we left off last time. We need to read verses 5 through 10. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and have made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall well because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, and which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. Now, I want to catch us up to this point. We got down to verse 8, and I want you to listen to this. We read that this revelation is from Jesus Christ, who is declared to be the faithful witness. Many times in Scripture, Jesus is referred to as faithful. The Bible says here that he is the first begotten of the dead, and he is the prince of the kings of the earth. That means he's over the kings of the earth. The Bible says that he is the one who loved us and washed us from our sins by his own blood. This is a designation telling us he is the Lamb of God as well. It is Jesus who has made us to be kings and priests unto God, who is his Father. Now, I want you to think of this, verse 6 tells us something very strongly, and I don't see how anyone could miss this. Revelation 1 and 6 is one of the strongest verses that promotes the deity of Christ in the Bible. It says that he hath made us to be kings and priests unto God 
and his father. Does God have a father? He does when you're talking about Jesus Christ, because Jesus, the Father, and the Spirit are all God together. This is the Godhead. This is the triunity of God at work here. The Father is not God alone. The Son is not God alone. The Holy Ghost is not God alone. They all three together are God. They make up the Godhead. This is how all Orthodox believers view the Trinity. So we have a reference that God has a Father. Well, We know the Holy Ghost has never been spoken of as having a father or being a son. There's only one member of the Godhead that has been called a son that would have a father. This is a reference to Jesus Christ. Jesus is called God here because the father is referenced in the same verse separately from him. So the Bible is telling us that we have been made kings and priests unto Jesus, who is God, and his father. (laughs) This is the strongest portion that you can find the deity of Christ in in the book of Revelation and one of the strongest in the whole New Testament. I think it's a wonderful, powerful thing that everyone needs to notice. He said that to Jesus belongs all the glory and all the dominion forever and ever. So who has the dominion is the one who rules over everything. All power in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Then we read that he will come in the clouds and every eye shall see him, even they who pierced him. The statement that he will come in the clouds is also one of the most obvious declarations of deity that could be proclaimed by Jews or proclaimed to the Jews. In the Old Testament, it was known that God is the one who rides upon the clouds. This is speaking primarily of Jesus Christ, and it says that he's coming on the clouds. If he comes on the clouds, this means that he is a deity figure and that he is God. They knew that God was the one who rode upon the clouds. For this statement to be made true, this is the declaration saying that Jesus is God once again in verse 7. I want you to pay special attention to verse 8. It's written in red in our KJV, and it says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. In the Old Testament, the Father was always the only one referred to as the Almighty. But right here in Revelation 1 and 8, we find that Jesus is claiming this title for himself as well. This is where oneness people jump off and they say, well, see, Jesus is God, and therefore there is no Father. Jesus is the Father, he's the Son, and he's the Spirit. That is false. That is heresy. That is not truth. Alpha and Omega is a statement that's from the Greek stating that he is the first and he is the last. He then goes back and transliterates this himself by saying he is the beginning and the end. Did you catch that? He said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. He gave his own interpretation of what he means by Alpha and Omega. This statement has been taken from a couple of scriptures from back in Isaiah, Isaiah 41 and 4. Who hath wrought and done it, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first and with the last, I am he. He said, I'm the beginning and the end. If you're the first and the last, you're the beginning if you're the first. And if you're the last, you're the end. Isaiah 48 and 12. Hearken unto me, O Jacob, and Israel my called. I am he. I am the first. I also am the last. Once again, we have the same setup. First, last. That means beginning and end. So here's the interesting part. We know that Revelation 1 and 8 is linked to this in Isaiah 41 and 4 and Isaiah 48 and 12. 
But what makes this even more interesting is Isaiah based his statements off of what he was writing by what the Lord spoke to him in prophecy, and he hinged it off of Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, back at the burning bush. I think this is one of the most interesting things to look at. God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am have sent me unto you. I am that I am. I am right now. I was before and I will be in the future. So all of this is based off of the claim that God exists. Well, when does he exist? Well, he did in the past and he does right now in the present and he will in the future. He actually went on and told Moses in verse 15 that this is his name forever. It's not going to change. He will always be the I am. (laughs) Now I want to look at verses 9 through 10. I, John, who am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He says in verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, a voice that sounds like a trumpet. Well, what did that voice say? Verse 11 says, saying, I'm Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. Oh, now that's taken straight from Isaiah 41 and 4 and Isaiah 48 and 12. He doesn't say beginning and end here. He literally says first and the last. What thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus and unto Smyrna and unto Pergamos and unto Thyatira and unto Sardis and unto Philadelphia and unto Laodicea. Now he goes on a little further and he says, and I turned, this is John speaking, I turned to see the voice that spake with me and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. What? (laughs) You saw what, John? And then he goes on in verse 13, and in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, one likened to the son of man. Oh, now we ought to remember son of man is the language that was called to the one who would be the Messiah. He was clothed with the garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool and as white as snow. His eyes were as a flame of fire. We've read this somewhere before. Yeah, it's in the book of Daniel 7. We'll go there in just a moment. And his feet were likened to fine brass as if they burned in a furnace and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell down at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, for I am the first and the last. This he says once again. (laughs) Then he says something in verse 18 that should strike everyone's familiarity. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. Okay, I want to stop here and just kind of park on this for just a little bit. I want you to notice some of the key phrases. Verse 11, he said, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. You get down to verse 17, he says at the end of the verse, I am the first and the last. Then he goes on and says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. In other words, I am, I was, I will be. Here we find direct correlations back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, once again. So now a lot of this is familiar, and I mentioned that some of it was from Daniel 7. It's somewhat confusing because there's one in Daniel 7 who is likened to the Son of Man. Now we know the Son of Man references in the New Testament are all about Jesus. 
So let's go there. Let's look at this. Daniel 7, verse 9. I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. Oh, now this is a description of what John saw in the book of Revelation chapter 1. But this description here in Daniel 7 is not of Jesus Christ. Now, before you fall out with me, say, no, 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 no. It's a clear description, and they match perfectly. That may be so, but let's read on. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him, and thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were open. I beheld then because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake. Now, wait a minute. The horn spoke? How come that sounds familiar? This is the voice that sounds like a trumpet blast. He said, I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As concerning the rest of the beast, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man. Now, hold on a minute. This is a definite designation of the Messiah. This is what Jesus called himself and many people referred to him in the New Testament. One like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven. Now that says that he's a deity figure because he's with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the Ancient of Days. Now, wait a minute. We just said that that description of the Ancient of Days must be Jesus because it's described just like he looks in Revelation. But here Daniel has the one like the Son of Man coming to the one that is the Ancient of Days. Mm, They both can't be Jesus. And so it says, he came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom and all people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away in his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. Okay, pause for just a moment. Forget about all of the distinctions in Revelation 1 and think about what's going on here in Daniel. You've got one sitting on a throne. You've got one like the Son of Man coming unto him and all power and glory being given unto him in heaven and in earth. So without question, the one sitting on the throne would be the Father. The one coming unto him would be the Son who is made heir of all things. That's not hard to understand. So the one that's likened to the Son of Man has to be Jesus here. And the one that is the Ancient of Days is God the Father. Now let's go back to the description of God the Father. His hair is white as snow. The hair of his head is pure like wool. His throne was like a fiery flame, and his wheels is burning fire. In other words, his feet were like fire. So now let's go to Revelation chapter 1, and it says that this one that's standing among the seven golden candlesticks had hair that was white like wool. His feet were like brass. And on and on, all of these same things sound exactly the same. (laughs) So who is who here? Well, it's Jesus standing there in the book of Revelation that looks just like what the Father has described in Daniel 7. This, to me, just gives more strength and more credence to what Jesus said to Philip that day when Philip says, hey, show us the Father and it'll suffice us. And Jesus said, have I been so long with you and you don't know me? (laughs) He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, if both of them have hair white like wool and both of them's feet are like brass and both of them have the sound of a voice of many waters and like a trumpet, then yeah, then I reckon if you've seen one, you've seen the other because they're very much alike. And should they not be? I mean, honestly, I have some of the characteristics of my father. You have some of the characteristics of your father. 
if you're begotten from someone, you're going to carry some of those traits. You're going to carry some of those things. <laughs> so now a lot of this is very familiar to us, but it's somewhat confusing also because the one like the son of man that we know as Jesus is described as wearing the same clothing of the ancient of days from Daniel seven. And Daniel, the one with the white hair, is the Ancient of Days. But in Revelation 1, John's describing Jesus. Some of this imagery is also found back in Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 25 through 28. And in Ezekiel 1, it's a description of God the Father here as well. Let me read you a little bit of this. And there was a voice from the firmament that was over their heads when they stood and had let down their wings. And above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne, all right, now in Daniel 7, we have one sitting on a throne. Now here in Ezekiel 1, we have one sitting on a throne. As the appearance of a sapphire stone, and upon the likeness of the throne, there was the likeness as of the appearance of a man above upon it. And I saw as the color of amber, as the appearance of fire round about within it, from the appearance of his loins even upward, and from the appearance of his loins even downward, I saw as it was the appearance of fire, and it had brightness round about. Now in Daniel 7 and in Revelation 1, the Ancient of Days in Daniel 7 and Jesus in Revelation 1 had feet like brass that looked like a refiner's fire or that looked like they were on fire. Here in Ezekiel 1, we have the same thing. Verse 28, as the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face and I heard a voice of one that spake. When you go into chapter 2, verse 1, and he said unto me, that one upon the throne said, Son of man, stand upon thy feet, and I will speak unto thee. Now, interestingly enough, here the son of man is Ezekiel because he is a actual son of men. But the one that was in heaven in Daniel 7 was the son of man, but yet he was a deity figure. So this tells us a little bit about the incarnation before it ever happened. There was one who was a deity figure who would become a son of men. <laughs> oh, the Bible's so powerful when you begin to see all of the themes that are in it converging together, telling the same story. Oh, it's so wonderful when you begin to look at this. Now, in Revelation 1 and 18, the one who is speaking says, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Now, we know that this has to be Jesus because he's the one that lived, then died, and now he's alive again, and he's alive forevermore. But Jesus claims to be the first and the last, which is exactly what God told Moses at the burning bush. That's what gets confusing. They both speak the same things. They both say the same phrases. They both talk about the same things and make the same statements. This must be Jesus, but although he's described in terms as the Ancient of Days from Daniel 7, He's described as the one who is seated on the cherubim throne in Ezekiel 1, which describes God the Father. Now, I know this can be confusing, for we wonder, well, where did God go in this scene? And, and where's Jesus at right now? And if that isn't confusing enough, what in the world happened to the angel that John says gave him this revelation? <laughs> Remember, God said he's sending his angel with the message or the revelation that we're reading right now today. Somewhere along the line, it all tied together, and we see that John obviously didn't have a hard time believing what was going on. 
it made perfect sense to John. And I've heard some people refer to then say, well, I'll be honest with you. When you look at it and you have a dream, that dream's real to you. And then when you wake up, you know, you have a hard time describing. That's probably what happened to John. John didn't have a dream. John didn't eat a lot of Mexican food and go to bed and have a crazy dream. And woke up and said, man, I seen God. No, this was a literal revelation. The Bible said he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. He got into the spirit on the Lord's day. On a Sunday, John must have been praying or worshiping or doing something of that nature. And somehow he got into the spirit until God began to show him things he had never shown any other man. So it wasn't a being dream. It wasn't by chance that all of this stuff began to happen. John began to see the very things that Ezekiel saw. He saw the very things that Daniel saw. And he said, I even saw what Moses saw at the burning bush. What other man do you know of that's seen those same things? What a wonderful experience that must be. And to think some people say, don't read the book of Revelation. It'll get you all messed up. So far, we've read the first 18 verses, and we've really only looked at the first 12 in depth. And so far, we've seen nothing about the end times that we could debate about and argue about and say, well, I see it this way. I see it that way. We're seeing some of the most powerful proof that Jesus is deity, that he and the Father are so similar and so much alike. We're seeing scriptures tied together and so much just being expounded to our minds that we've heard and seen. Now it's coming together. And yet we want to look at Revelation and say, well, it's a book about the end time. If that's all you get, you've missed everything we've talked about thus far. In verse 11, Jesus declared to be the Alpha and Omega, just like he did in verse 8. Did you catch that? Verse 8, he says, I am Alpha and Omega. Going down to verse 11, he said, I am Alpha and Omega. All right. In verse 8, he says, I'm the beginning and the ending. In verse 11, he says, I'm the first and the last. In verse 17, he said, I am the first and the last. Verse 18, he said, I'm he that liveth and was dead, but behold, I'm alive forevermore. He keeps reiterating the same points over and over. He wants you to know it is truly Jesus Christ of Nazareth that's standing here. Not only is he Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he's Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. He is the son of man. He is deity. We'll finish chapter one in our next week's study, Lord willing, and we'll go into chapter two and start looking at what Jesus is saying to the churches. I think we're going to find a lot of information that we've never looked at before right here, right before our very eyes. May the Lord bless you. All right. Good teaching, Brother Donnie. I enjoyed that today. Uh, we also have a question in here. You ready for it? I think I am. What do we have today? All right, here we go. I have heard you mention how many analogies could be made from the Old Testament into the New Testament. Can you give us an example? Wow. This is the first time I believe that we've ever had a question come in that wasn't an actual question, but asking for an example of something. That's interesting. Yeah. And I'm, that kind of excites me. I like that. Right. Okay. Uh, let me think for just a moment right off the top of my head. Let's go to Mark chapter 2. Let me see if I can find it right here. It's towards the end of the chapter. Okay, let me drop in at Mark 2 and 23. And it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day. Now, we know that the he here should, should be Jesus. And his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they do on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? And he said unto them, Have you never read what David did when he had need, and he was a hungered, he and they that were with him? 
how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest and did eat the shewbread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priest and gave also to them that were with him. And he said unto them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the son of man is Lord also of the Sabbath. This is a perfect picture of something that happened in the Old Testament. And you can see the whole setting play out. Even the characters have characters that fulfill them in the New Testament from out of the Old Testament. Bear with me as we look at this. We know that in this setting, we have Jesus and his disciples. We also know that Herod is there and the time of Christ. We know that John the Baptist is living in the time of Christ. We know that Judas is the betrayer. We know that there's the high priest that is over the land. As a matter of fact, there's two at this time, Annas and Caiaphas. Well, does that correlate to anything from the Old Testament? Absolutely. Let me walk you back down memory lane and go back to the time of David. Jesus pointed out this particular setting during this time for a reason. He was wanting them to remember something that happened in the days of David that would give them insight and clarity of what's going on right now. So when you go back to the Old Testament, you read that setting that he referred to where David and his men come and David is asking the priest for the bread that is not lawful to eat. Jesus is showing us a perfect fulfillment of what happened then. Jesus is the perfect picture of King David. Jesus's disciples are a perfect picture of David's men that went with him. As a matter of fact, the disciples went with Jesus everywhere he went. David's men went everywhere that he went. Now, during that time of David, Saul was the current king who had drifted away from God, and he had a great desire to kill David. But guess what? At the time of Jesus, there was a king by the name of Herod, who was also one who was far from God, and he desired to kill Jesus. Same setup, same situation. Now, what does John the Baptist have to do with any of this? Well, John the Baptist was the prophet. He's the one that was preparing the way for the Lord of heaven, and he confronted the present king of the day. Well, he's a symbol of Samuel the prophet, who also prepared the way for the new king, and he confronted the wrong ideology of that day. Here's John the Baptist being a picture of Samuel the prophet. As a matter of fact, John the Baptist is called the end of the prophets. Samuel was one of the first prophets that we know of. Now, he wasn't the first person who ever prophesied, but we also know that he's the first recognized prophet that Israel looked at as their leader, and they considered him as a judge. Now, Judas, where does he play in on this? Because Judas is one of David's men, but yet he betrays him. Well, guess what? There's a man that was friends with David at one time, or at least he was a contemporary of David, we know, and that was Doeg the Edomite, who happened to be there that day when all of this good stuff happened, and he's the one that betrayed the whole situation that nearly cost David his life. Judas is the one who betrayed Christ, and he was with them on this day, eating of that corn on the Sabbath, and yet he also betrayed Christ, and he is the cause that helped bring about the crucifixion of Christ. So now, in the time of Christ, there was two high priests around this time, Annas and Caiaphas. Now, there's never been another time in history where there was two high priests in the same year, were there? Yeah, every time that there was a transition from one to the other, there was always two in that same year. And during this time of David, if you'll read that story, there was Ahimelech and then there was Abiathar. You read the story and it's Ahimelech in the Old Testament. But when you read it here, Jesus refers to Abiathar. So you have two priests in the present time and the mention of two priests in the time of David. In just a little while, the existing priesthood would end and another would take charge. And Jesus's kingdom would be established just like David's kingdom was in those days. 
Now, the question was, could I give an example of an analogy that's taken from the Old Testament brought into the New? This is just one of many. There's so many. I I don't really even refer to them as an analogy as much as a type and a shadow. The type and shadow is something that points to a greater fulfillment. And that's what I just gave you today. I showed you a setting of David's life that pointed to Christ. Now, most people understand David is the figure that the Messiah would come from. And so we understand that most everything in David's life, Jesus would fulfill in some way or the other. In this setting that I read to you, taken back from out of 1 Samuel, you begin to see how all of this pulls together, ties together, and Jesus fulfills it to a T. That's the example I would give, but the Bible is full of them. This is just one of many. This isn't the only one. This is one that I've never actually heard anybody else take and preach from or teach from, but it's one that stood out to me for many years, and I thought I would share it with you today. Very good teaching, Brother Donnie, for a once-in-a-while question that we haven't had anything like that. Remember, friends, if you have a Bible question that you'd like an answer to, drop us an email at dkministries1977 at yahoo.com. That's dkministries1977 at yahoo.com. We also encourage you to send your questions to us. You'll certainly get a biblical answer. We hope you've enjoyed our podcast today, sharing God's Word. But until next time, may God bless you all. Stop by and listen on Friday. We're going to have special edition number 48. Systematic Theology number 20, Wrong Doctrinal Assumptions. For the gospel's sake, where I go, you've already been there. Cause I'm walking in Jesus' name. Well, I'm walking in Jesus' name. I'm going where he bid me go. I'm dressing and talking like he wants me to. He's a keeper of my soul I have learned to lean on Jesus and cast on him my ever concern I'm looking for a home in glory where no sorrow